Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Edgar Allan Poe Pari. Want to freshen up your bleak existence? Try new Edgar Allan Poe Pari, the avant-garde line of room-freshening essence. With new scents like Annabelle Lemon, Rose Gold Bug, and Cherry Pit in the Pendulum, you'll be able to fend off that gothic sense of impending death, and you'll smell great doing it. Quoth the Raven, this room smells fantastic. Edgar Allan Poe Pari, patent pending. Fifty one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One, fly ball, deep left center. Chris, I'm on the run. Yes, 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 yes. Twenty five lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. I'm from the belt to right center. And the Five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and try. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, everybody. That's right. It is another episode of the Platinum Sombrero. Dylan Short, Adam Doc Herbert, and Doc. Who are we joined by today? Uh, today we are joined by a very special guest, uh, the architect of the most recent Braves drafts, a uh, true man about town, and the face of the Braves scouting department, the uh, the overall quarterback. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show Braves scouting director Brian Bridges. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate being on. I really do. I mean, I, we should be thanking you. This is uh, – for, for us to, to who love talking about prospects all the time, this is one of the, our favorite gets of all time. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and start this off right now. Brian, you've been through – you're on your third GM now, which is almost unheard of for a scouting director to make it through that many. That just goes to show you just how good of a job that you've done. Yeah, I want to ask what what is uh what are the different philosophies? Do they kind of just leave you alone and let you do your thing, or have you had to adjust to all three? Well, you know, it's a very good question. I mean, you can go back and start even when I was uh, promoted through Frank Wren as a cross checker, you know, pseudo cross checker, but I was still over the state of Georgia at the time. So, you know, Alex Wood and those guys that were drafted out of the state were still mine as an as a signing scout under Tony DeMacio, but um, Frank was a go-getter. You know, he was, you know, he was full steam ahead as far as he, he was more on the big league side 
and then you know he would get involved in the draft a little bit want to hear about the players and the prospects in the draft room too you always had to be on your toes. You always had to, you know, quantify everything that you, you know, said about A player, B player, C player. You always had to have an answer. And he's very detail-oriented in how he went about the business of, uh, you know, acquiring talent, you know, at the draft. Um, Fast-forwarding through to Copy and John Hart, you know, we uh, assembled a staff. Uh, it was kind of pseudo-GM to start with in year 15. Uh, John Hart was making a lot of calls at the time and, you know, it all went through copy and then copy subsequently got the job. So he was a little more hands-on than Frank was through the process. You know, we talked pretty much every day, you know, about what was going on, what we were seeing and what was going on, you know, throughout the draft. And, um, and then fast forwarding to Alex Anthopoulos. Alex Anthopoulos has been a breath of fresh air to not only me, but the uh, entire Braves organization. He's been a calming effect to what goes on. He's a very close to the best fan. He's a very trusting man. He believes in hiring people to do their jobs. And, you know, he expects you to do your job. If I don't do my job to the specifications that he wants it done, then I don't expect to be here. And you can't ask for nothing else. You know, as far as being able to do your job entirely at your department, go do it. Let's move forward. Let's keep filling the pipeline and doing the things that, you know, we are capable of doing. When you start talking about draft picks and stuff like that, he comes in, he listens, and, you know, he loves the draft. He was brought up through the draft. I don't know if you, you guys probably know the history of Alex, but he you know, started with the Expos, and then he actually directed for a year and then was promoted from there. So, He's kind of been on both sides and all sides, really, and was able to, you know, see everything through different lenses as far as, you know, preparing for a draft and then actually sitting in the chair and making the picks to, you know, orchestrating, you know, him and Perry and the rest of their staff in Toronto, you know, the guys that they had gotten together and assembled and then made the trades, which propelled them into the playoffs. But, uh, it's been very good. You know, I've actually learned a whole lot from them as far as the analytical side. They are actually, you know, Alex and Alex Tamman and Jason Perret are remarkable when it comes to the analytical piece with scouting and trying to mirror it all together. And from saying that, Alex is pro scouting. You know, he likes to use the analytics piece as another piece of the puzzle. It's not the end result. But from that standpoint, I've learned a tremendous amount in a short amount of time from him and there and the staff that he's assembled over here on, you know, guys' arm angles dropping and, you know, difference and stuff like that throughout. Like, you know, he he's able – I'm still learning it. But, I mean, he's able to look right up on that screen and say, hey, the guy's arm angle dropped from 15 to 16. I'm like, whoa. You know, I mean, so <laughs> I was taken back, but you never stop learning in the game. So from all three, they all three had their different styles. But I can tell you from a Braves employee to hopefully a Braves fan that, you know, he, he this guy's a tireless worker and will do everything he can to bring a championship to Atlanta. I can promise you that. And that is something that that we've heard about Alex Anthopoulos from 
right as it was announced that he was the one getting hired uh, was that he was a guy that like dip his toes in that he didn't just like to kind of oversee he liked to learn all the different all of the uh, the different aspects of it whether it be the scouting whether it be the analytics department or, or what have you uh, I, I wanted to ask what kind of uh, what kind of input does he kind of have did you guys bounce players off uh, back and forth oh, off yeah. each other no I mean I would go to him and you know hey and actually in spring training he, you know he had seen a lot of players down there in Florida there was quite a uh, quite a group of talent down in the state of Florida last year. And uh, he did everything. I mean, he didn't want to spend all that time in spring training because, again, when you think about his management style, you know, spring training, that's Snicker's job to do his thing with, you know, that whole thing. But he would want to get out and, you know, just get away for a day and go see a player. And then, you know, we talk about the players at night. I mean, He's, he's as good as there is in the business when it comes to breaking it down, even seeing it, and him not having a lot of history. He, he's got a, you know, he, he, he's very good at it, for sure. So as it pertains to, to the 2018 draft, it was the first time that, that you and you and Alex had had a chance to uh, put together a, a whole draft. And I, and I know that you have a, a huge team of scouts that are working tirelessly to mm-hmm. uh, to make all of this happen. Uh, yep. The to me the thing that stood out about this draft the most was how college heavy it was. You know the Braves are really well known for uh, taking a lot of uh, high school arms, bringing them through the system, doing things the, the quote unquote right way. Mm-hmm. But this year, it it was thirty four out of thirty nine picks were college players. Mm-hmm. So um, so it's, was that <clears throat> excuse me? How much of a conscious decision was that? Was there a particular uh, methodology behind that or what was the the biggest reason for that if you had to well there's a little secret to it that i just really don't want to share but i will <laughs> share you a little bit of it i'll give you a little okay. bit of my you know opinion of it um most high school kids as far as when you start talking about a certain level of talent when you're picking eight and 49 there's a lot of players that go in between that and if you guys just go back and play that draft over, you could see a lot of players that went in between there that we probably had a lot of interest in. So when you go high school, I'll tell you this, and everybody knows it, I prefer high school players every day of the week. I believe in the upside, but I am going to take the best available player. And there are college guys with upside. I mean, when you start talking about, you know, as they go through it, I mean... Just going back to this draft, I mean, you, you go Grayson Janista, he can run. Okay, this guy was a Cape League player of the year. Uh, he's 6'4", 230 pounds. I know I would mentioned it, you know, probably during the draft in some interviews that he had draftitis because he also played with Alec Baum that was on his team. And he was pressing a little bit. He wasn't really himself. But once you saw that guy outside of, you know, Wichita State when he was playing on the Cape, it gave you an opportunity to see both sides. So you kind of made your decision on what you thought about his talent, both in college and out of college. Now, he played for um, Coach Butler there. Todd Butler is one of the best human beings. I mean, he orchestrated a lot of teams over at Arkansas, and then now he's running things over at uh, Wichita State. And he, I believe in that man as much as I believe in Kevin O'Sullivan, who's probably my best friend in all of baseball. And, uh, but 
seeing him there. It's not like he was browbeat when he was in college. He just had draftitis. So this kid can run, he can throw, he can defend, he can hit. And once he taps into that, I still think there's more to the power with that player. So when you start thinking about upside, we all love the high school player. I'm sure both of you guys do too, right? We all do. I do. I'm going to tell you. I mean, if the previous drafts haven't told you that, then, you know, I don't know what to say, but when you sit down and you start thinking about how you go about your business in a draft, a lot of people have to understand that we lost 13 international players. Those were good players. Gordon Blakely and his staff had signed some good players. We lost them. And, you know, I read everything that was written, and, you know, it, 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 it it's just, you know, we're just kind of in a tough place. And we're going to be in a tough place for a few years as far as international goes. But when you start looking at the ones that were left, I mean, Contreras, uh, you look at uh, Incarnacion, who was signed for, I think, 10 grand. I mean, look at what that guy's doing in Rome right now. But when you start thinking about what you got to do, not only we didn't draft on need, we draft on talent. And it just so happened that the guys, there was steady talent in the college level and the upside talent was gone. How about that? I can I can totally understand that. And as far as Grayson goes, everything I've seen of him, I think that there, I, I would agree with you in my unprofessional opinion that there is a ton of, of power potential there as a guy that really for most of his college career and even a lot of his Cape career kind of leveled off on his swing aside from instead of, uh, I guess, trying to trying to affect more loft in it. So I would imagine yeah. that's one of the things that he started working on right away. And it's paid dividends. I mean, he, he was tearing it up through the, uh, through the GCL. He's already in Rome now where he's putting on a good show. Uh, yeah. All, all of those guys, and it's, and it's not just Grayson Janista. You guys got Tristan Beck late in the draft, which was really mm-hmm. shocking to a lot of people. Um, A.J. Yeah. Graffanino has been outstanding. Yes. Uh, well, there's a guy that only played 24 innings, or 24 games, I'm sorry, innings. 24 games, you know, because of a pulled hammy the whole year. So, started thinking about, you know, his potential, and a lot of what I had seen out of him was the summer before when he was playing at Brewster on the Cape League. You know, you see him, he's got bloodlines, his dad comes from a wonderful family, and this kid wants it as much as any kid. You know, I've either signed and or drafted, and I've drafted some that really want it. I mean, I've been fortunate, knock on wood. These kids that we have in our system right now, they're not going to give up, they're not going to quit, and they have great makeup, and they're going to do everything they can to get to SunTrust Park and help the Braves win a World Series for sure. I don't think anybody was surprised by Graffinino's glove. If anybody knew the profile, Graffinino is an outstanding defensive shortstop. People have been shocked by the bat. I've been a little bit shocked by it. Riley Delgado, another one, as a guy who's just gone around and, and been a total stabilizing force out there at shortstop. He was a little bit older than everybody else, but young teams need that as well. Uh, it's a guy that comes in and, you know, you instantly think, oh, he's 23, so there's not a lot of upside there. But all Riley's done is mash the ball left and right and field a great shortstop, which helps those young guys develop behind him. Let me give you a funny story on that one, and it kind of goes hand-in-hand with what's happening this weekend. Uh, We, you know, have our annual workout that we have at SunTrust Park, and our area scout at the time, Dustin Evans, had brought Delgado in. 
So, you know, the, his team was done playing, so we'd bring him in, work him out, and let him hit on, you know, the field. And, you know, we have other top guys in there. And there's a certain Hall of Famer that's uh, going in the Hall of Fame this year. I mean, we all know him as Chipper, you know. <laughs> uh, we get done with the workout. And, uh, you know, I was like, hey, what do you guys think? You know, we're all sitting around talking. Chipper was like, hey. I don't know what you guys thought, but uh, the Delgado kid was laying out linias all over the yard. He wasn't trying to hit balls out of the yard. He was just laying out linias everywhere, hitting the ball where it was pitched. You know, he really did a good job of never seeing the player and evaluating the player at a workout, which is a no-no when you sit and think about, you know, from a scout standpoint, you don't evaluate a player at a workout that's good way of getting burned but you know him being a senior and i want to go back and i don't want to be mistaken when i say this he made like two errors in two years at shortstop at middle tennessee state so we knew defensively what we were getting and he caught chipper's eye at the workout so i have to give credit where credit is due and mr hall of famer uh got that one right for sure it's not a bad guy to get a hitting recommendation from (laughs) yeah really pretty bringing endorsement yes and don't think i don't use that you know i definitely send a share of videos and stuff to his computer you know to have him you know give his input his opinion because one thing i can tell you about chipper he's not going to sugarcoat it he's going to give me exactly what he thinks He's also never afraid to go big. I mean, I remember the first time I heard Ronald Acuna's name, uh, it was actually, it was right before he started that Mammoth Tear a year ago. It was Chipper who came into the radio station I was at and uh, told everybody that this kid's the next Andrew Jones. That was, that was the first time I'd heard anything about him. Yeah. And he'll throw a little jabs at me, you know, he'll send me a text. Hey, uh, how's, how's Delgado doing? You know, he was in Rome at about three thirty. You know, I knew where he was going with it. I was like, "You don't ask a question if you don't know the answer." <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good group of guys. You know, you sit and think about a staff. We have 27, 27 guys on our staff. We also have, um, you know, Chipper. You know, we ask. You know, I'll send him stuff. We got. Uh, Greg Walker, who was our former hitting coach, he's you know done a lot in the game as far as hitting goes. He goes out and sees hitters, and we have the prime dog Brad McGriff, who uh, goes out and sees hitters and works with uh, the Terminal Stars up there and coaches those teams in carry, which you guys are all aware of of the upcoming draft class. So he's done that the past two years and managed the team up there. Can't say he's the best manager. <laughs> but he manages the teams, and the kids have a great time with him. And, you know, Fred has a good eye for talent as well. So we're very fortunate with the amount of outside help that Alex has allowed us to continue to have. And those guys' input, I mean, the amount of players that they've seen over their careers. I mean, Greg Walker played, what, nine and a half years. Fred played 18. Shipper played for, you know, a while. And those guys take pride in, you know, and helping out and i mean helping out and really putting their hands in on it and having a you know personal debt into what we're doing so we're very fortunate as a staff 
Now, I want to go back to something real quick. You mentioned that high schoolers were your favorite. Obviously, there's a ton of upside with high school players. And uh, right. I'm not going to lie, Doc and I did cry a little bit. Doc had his eye on, on Jared Kelenic, and uh, I was yes. a big Connor Scott homer. Um, y- yes. But uh, I, I wanted to ask, because it's such a weird thing when you talk about projecting a high school baseball player uh we've said this before on the show it's the hardest sport to to project five years down the road because there's so much involved on the mental side not just the physical side how do you go about and and when you're looking at a high school guy and say oh that guy's a number two down the road this this kid may be 15 16 years old throwing 82 mile an hour how do you figure out that this guy just looking at him all right he's gonna throw 94 he's gonna be a top of the rotation type of guy well you look at size to start with, and definitely, even if he's rangy, he's broad shoulder. You look at arm speed. How much arm speed does he have to project on a 88 to 91 mile an hour fastball when you see him, you know, as a young player? And then I always look at the breaking ball velocity. The breaking ball velocity is 77 or higher, and he's 88 to 91. There's enough hand speed there for you to project on future down the road fastball. For sure, take it to the bank. Now, it doesn't always work out. You've got injury or whatnot, and you know maybe the player doesn't fill out, or maybe the player plateaus. But for the most part, as long as the arrow is still pointing up, you still have the option to keep climbing with him and betting on him if you know what's inside the shirt. You have to know what's inside the shirt. You have to know what's inside the brain, and that's the area of scout's job. You can miss on an evaluation, but you better not miss on the makeup. And that's that is that is I think the key point right there. But I mean, we can go back two years ago, uh, and there, there's there's a couple guys right there when you talk about Mike Soroka, who is obviously blowing everybody away, uh, and even though he's on the DL a little bit. Mike Soroka, Colby Allard, and Kyle Muller, all in that all in that same area, but all kind of had a little bit of differences to them. Where Soroka came in throwing eighty eight ninety one, Colby had that stress fracture, but people thought he'd kind of tune back up to the ninety three ninety four that he was in high school, and that didn't really work out for him. But both of those guys have kind of settled in, and Mike Soroka's throwing ninety seven mile an hour sinkers now. What happened? Well. You know, he was a young one. It came out of his hand, but you look at Mike, he was a big kid. Um, am I surprised by his ascent through the organization? No. Colby, same way. Um, Muller? Muller, one thing you have to give credit to is our player development. Um, Don Cheedy, Jonathan Sherholtz, Dave Trimley, the whole staff that they have down there. Uh uh, our new hitting coordinator, for sure, that we brought in to get us up to speed as far as, you know, a little bit of loft and, and making adjustments with guys. But from a pitching standpoint, when you start talking about Dave Wallace, Don Cheedy, Eric Lewis, and all the guys underneath them, Dan Meyer, name escapes me, our guy in AA, our pitching coach in AAA, who's from the Marlins that they brought over here is outstanding. All up and down our minor leagues, when you start talking about our pitching, it's one thing to draft the talent. It's another thing for me to tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we are turning those players, those pitchers, over to the best pitching coaches in all of baseball. And I believe that with all my heart. And they take those kids on an individual basis. And that's how they teach them. It's not a cookie cut one way. 
they take the talent that they have and make them better in every aspect of pitching. And I commend all of them. I applaud all of them. And they've done an outstanding job and proof's in the pudding. I mean, you go back and look, I want to say we're closing in on from 2002 to the present day, I think we're closing in on 50 guys who've uh, crossed the arches of Major League Clubhouse that have pitched in the big leagues for Atlanta Braves and or another club that, you know, if they've been traded. That's a lot. And that's, that a, lot a-, for, that's a lot for any organization. And those, it's a factual thing. I'm not pulling that. I may even be a little light on the total dates, but I think it's 2002 or it could be even later, 2004 or six to the present day. It's been so interesting to to watch. Um, just watching the, the minor leagues now, you know, you look at a day like day like today, uh, Tuki Toussaint uh, started earlier today. Kyle Wright is starting in about half an hour. And Ian Anderson was supposed to start today, but the game got rained out. Mm-hmm. And it's like that almost every day where you look and there's some massive pitching prospect that's that's pitching every single night. And and all of these guys, you know, some of them are, are a little more polished. Like mm-hmm. Wright was very polished coming out of coming out of Vandy. Uh, Anderson was kind of a cold weather arm, and, and Tukey was obviously uh, incredibly raw when he was drafted by Arizona and then acquired. Um, when you start looking at players that that you have taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you expected to be very decent or very good. Is there are there any examples where somebody has just completely outpaced your expectations? And you, know, you said you weren't surprised by Soroka or Allard, but is there anybody who's really, really surprised you? Uh, yes. Uh, and he hasn't picked up a ball this year, but I will tell you right now, Patrick Weigel was the one in 2015. I was just like, Wow. This guy jumped in there, had been to a couple different colleges, had kind of been put in a bullpen, had been used this way. We committed to him, our player development, Dave Trimley at the time, and Jonathan Scherholz had committed to him that they would let him start. And this player, this kid, took off. I mean, before the Tommy John, I mean, he was in AAA knocking on the door. I mean, yes. Corbin Klaus. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, the list goes on and on. Those those type of guys who you just sit back and you go, man, you know, we're fortunate enough to have those guys in our system. And you know what? They took the bull by the horns and 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 really grabbed hold of the – opportunity that they had and learned as much as they could and and the things that they've done i tip my hat to both of them and that's just two examples i mean you know there's others but those are the two that come to mind right now i mean patrick you know seeing him back up on the mound i know he tweeted it out about three weeks ago when he got to throw a bullpen again but i mean he's a mountain of a man and he's a very driven kid and I'm, i'm happy for him Paddywags is a favorite of the show. Still waiting for him to uh, respond and come on with us, but, you know, whatever. Uh, That's a guy that, you know, a lot of people may be forgetting just how good he was before he went down, and you you mentioned that he was up in AAA. What a lot of people might not get is he was – 
he might have been in front of Sean Newcomb at that time. He was the one out of three between him, Sean, and Lucas, who who were all up there in AAA, and Patrick was the one on the fast track. And were it not for that injury, I have no doubts that Patrick would have been in the majors at some point last season. That's a guy yep. that – and I, I remember the first time I took a look at him, I was trying to grade out a top 30, and I was trying to dig into, into Weigel's, Weigel's past, and I started looking at his stats as a starter, and then I started looking at his stats in college more as a reliever, and it just did not click for me how a guy could go from being kind of a, a, a decent but nothing spectacular reliever, and he's just dominating people on the mound. And then you go and you watch his tape. He had that easy delivery, really clean and smooth mechanics. Uh, his curveball was was outstanding. Uh, it's not Tukey's, but it is it is no. an outstanding no. curveball in its own. But he has another one. If he doesn't have the curveball, he can beat you with a slider. And it's it's I mean, just awesome. He, yeah, I mean the kid. You know what? I'm, I'm happy. And him and Soroka, you know, that whole little crew, they were all together in Rome. You know, it was, uh, if you go back and look at it, that 2016 team where all those kids were, Patrick was the one that was the anchor in the beginning. Then they shot him straight to double it. Him, if you remember right, he went from low A ball to double it. Didn't and skip a beat, too. No, he just kept right on pouring it in there. So, you know, but that whole crew, it's its really a unique bunch. And it's good to see Tukey, you know, who was, you know, I don't want to use the word floundering around a little bit, but when he was in Arizona and the copy made the trade for him and then he comes over here and he gets with these kids in Rome in 16 and Dan Meyer and uh, Don Cheedy they get you know a plan going for him and he starts to take off then that's when he took off and if you go back and look at it it was like midway point that Tukey took off and it was kind of like when Patrick left Tukey jumped in and it was like you know those guys it's a special group of kids you know and I think even the group behind them and then you got Waters and Tarnox figuring it out still and and uh you know, with Wright, and Wright's got something to learn. Wright went from, you know, really the draft to double A. You know, he pitched a little bit in high ball, but it was an inning here, two innings there, and that's, you know, Dom and, and the guys knew he'd thrown a lot of innings, so they wanted to make sure that they took care of him along the way. But, you know, he's going to have his ups and downs. He's got to learn. One thing that people don't understand, and I think it's, you know, I spent a lot of time with Joe and Phil Necro before I got into this business. And between the both of them, they had spent well over 40 years in major leagues. You know how many players they saw, and they had said this to me, and I've never forgot it. So many players come through the arches, the golden arches of a major league clubhouse. They can't get comfortable in their own skin, no matter what the talent is. You think about that. Then you think about take it one step further and you go a little bit deeper you go man it's that hard to stick in the major leagues it's that hard 750 jobs out there and when you get that opportunity you run with it and then when the league figures you out if you can't make an adjustment whether you be a hitter or a pitcher your career could be done you have to be able to make the adjustments and that's where the separators are. And that comes back to the main thing that I said, you know, not too long ago. 
You can miss on the evaluation, but don't miss on the makeup. And that's something that we like to talk about a lot on this show. Talking about uh, it's not a it's not a game of talent. Everybody up here is talented. It is a game of adjustments. And can you continually evolve your game and adjust to players that are continually adjusting to you? Uh, but but going back, we've, we've mentioned some of the guys that have been flying through the system: Soroka and Allard, and even Gohara. Um, out of this out of this latest class, this 2018 class, is there anybody that, that you kind of have circled, whether it be in pencil or in pen, as that guy that you think could blow up? Um, I think we kind of touched on two of them. Uh, I do like Justin Dean to some, you know, level of prospect. I mean, the guy's an 80 runner, 63, 460. You know, he's in Danville now, and he's strong. Not very big. Five eight five nine, but he's strong and he brings a lot to the table. A lot of energy. Can play defense. He can throw. He can run. That's one guy. Um, you start thinking about maybe even you know Kingdom. Kingdom gets back to who Kingdom is. It's 97, 96, 98 with a slider, six foot four. Um, you know, there's plenty of guys up and down there that have the opportunity. The one that I would say. There's really two that you think about. Trey Riley's Trey Riley. He's got a big arm. It's a huge arm. It's 95 to 98 with a slider. But when you think about guys, like, I like the, you know, you think about the blue collar, the morts of the world. You know what I mean? This guy, you know, all he did his whole career is hit, what, 400? 406 is senior season, I believe it was. Yeah. I mean, all he's done is hit 400 the whole time. You know, he was at UNCG and, you know, got hit 280-something in the Cape. I mean, those are the guys that, you know, you kind of, you know, the numbers may not wow you, but one little adjustment here or there, he starts popping some home runs. And, you know, it's a good group. There's some athleticism. There's, you know, guys were breaking balls. You start thinking about um, Shatter. Did from Texas Tech throws, you know, a slider and a curveball from the same slot. You know, that's hard to pick up. Uh, you know, you go up and down through there. And, the, you know, we tried to hit on you know, definitely, you know, what the pluses were with the players. I mean, there's some catchers in there. Soderman can catch and throw. Um, the kid's name escapes me right now from Faulkner. Um, he's in Danville. You know, uh, actually, I got one for you. 31st round. Get ready. It's Gabe Rodriguez. Left-handed pitcher. Hmm. Miami Dade. Do you guys know what he's been throwing? He hasn't thrown but four innings this whole the whole year at Miami Dade. Every time out, he's been 95 to 98. He's left-handed, by the way. <laughs> wow. So uh, that, that's a pretty good sign right there. Any lefty that can run it up is uh, a, yes. a guy that you and the funny circle. thing was, I was with Luis Sanchez, the area scout, and we were in St. Petersburg in January, and he's playing right field. And I'm like, I mean, they're taking infield, and this guy's absolutely throwing bullets to third base. I'm like, is this guy ever pitch? And he's like, no, you know, a little bit here or there. Well, he threw four innings. At Miami Dade, and we saw two of them. We took him, and they're trying. You know, he's a little raw, 
but I mean, still, it's left-handed and it's 95-98. And great job of scouting on Lou's part and a great job of pushing for him. And you start thinking about late-round guys right there. There's a guy just to keep an eye on because of the tools that are there. I mean, this guy could come when he figures it out and come fast. I like well, that one. And one, one thing this scouting department has, has really proven over the past couple of years is how how good it is at finding uh, small school guys, late round talent that uh, that aren't just kind of your your general run of the mill late rounders, just kind of um, like mercy picks almost. I mean, Jared James a couple of years ago was thirty fourth rounder, and he he wound up in the Arizona Fall League last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you start you start thinking about you know, I mean, the guys have done a great job. I mean, you know, one thing I. I do sit in the chair to make the picks. It's it's all about the scouts. It's all about the scouts that are drafting them. I mean, those guys, you work hard, good things are going to happen to you. You know, one thing I always prided myself on as an area scout, every day I woke up, how can I make the team better? What can I do today to make the scouting department better? What can I do to, today to get another player it's going to make a difference with the Atlanta Braves. I mean, that's what drives you. And the kid and the guys that do that, they go out and beat the bushes. I'm a scout's scout because that's what I was. I worked my butt off. And I appreciate everything that all of our scouts do. And everybody that has a hand in that draft room and what they do. And to a field guy for a scout, he's going to get him. We try to make sure that, you know, we have dots on those players, that those guys want little blue dots, and we draft those players. And it's been successful for us as a group, and we will continue to do that because I believe in what these guys can do. Now we know uh, we know we're <laughs> you're you're a very busy man. A uh, couple more questions here. Um, That's fine. Everybody enjoys when players make their major league debut. The player loves it. The family loves it. The team loves it. The fans love it. And you guys, as fans, obviously love it. But is it every time that that one of these players that you guys draft, every time that they make their debut? It's got to be a little bit more special for you guys. It's special because the player and you guys have gotten to know him in the draft process gets up there. But it's another feather in your guys' cap of what has been a cap just just chock full of feathers over the past three, four years. What's that kind of like for you guys just to keep seeing another one? Does it ever get old? Uh, you know what? We're so busy thinking about 19. <laughs> Honestly, what we do and Dixie Keller, who's moved on now, Alex, administrative assistant, who ran the scouting department for 17 years. We make sure that when that player makes his debut, that that scout is in the stands. Because there's no better feeling to a scout than seeing the player he saw as an amateur make his debut in the major leagues. It's uh, no better feeling for anybody in the scouting department just as much as, I mean, the fans are as big a part of it as we are. I mean, I love this organization. I, every mistake I make, I'm not mis- making mistakes because I'm not trying, you know? I'm not, we're not out there 
trying to fail. They're out there pushing the envelope, trying to succeed and make the organization better. So every mistake that's made, or I say mistake, when it doesn't work out, a draft that doesn't work out, we hurt as much as we have joy when they make it to the major leagues. So John Sherholt said that, you know, the scouts are the lifeblood of an organization. But I think being in the Atlanta Braves organization and working for the Atlanta Braves, it means that is not just words said. It's something that's felt all the way up and down the organization. Because those guys get the opportunity to enjoy it when those guys make that debut. And to me, and knowing how I feel personally about scouting and player development, because there has to be a marriage between the both of them, because it's a win-win. When a player makes it to the major leagues, those, those coaches have touched them along the way. And Jonathan Schultz and Don Cheedy and Dave Tremblay, and those guys, it's a you know big, hey, just pump. That's awesome. Great for him. You know, I want him to play 10 years in the major leagues, you know, and let's win. I mean, because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's all about the players that you've drafted, you've given birth, given birth to, for them to develop with the right people in the organization to make it to the major leagues. And, I mean, there's nothing better. But I think it goes both ways. And, I, you know, when a guy has a guy that doesn't make it and subsequently gets released, you know, you got to kind of coddle him a little bit. I mean, it's not like, you know, we're out here trying to miss. We're out here trying to hit a home run every time we make a pick and or, draft, you know, sign a player even after a draft. We're trying to make a difference. No, that's um, it's a lot, you know, and uh, like you said, there's <clears throat> there's scouts in uh, in kind of every corner of the country that are that are looking around trying to find the find the next big guy, not just uh, somebody that would uh, kind of jive talent wise, but makeup wise. And I know that is it's definitely a tough balance. Um, so where where are you with uh, with your 2019 prep? I mean, do you, do you already kind of have an idea of who? I mean, granted, it, it is such a long road. Well, the funny thing is, when you guys start throwing names out there, you know, because I follow a lot of people on Twitter, and I'll watch it, you know, sitting in the airport, you know, I'm gone probably, I don't know, a lot of the, you know, I spend most of my time at Hartsville Jackson, connecting, never coming home, or, you know, some other part of the country, but you guys mention names sometimes in my head, can you just leave that one off? <laughs> you, know, like, you don't have to put that one on there guys so, you know you almost want to send a direct message you'd be like hey take that you know can you take that tweet down you know I don't hide you know, him you're kind, of, you're kind of hitting close to home so uh, I would tell you this there's a lot of uh, there's bats in this draft I mean um, you know we're picking nine and you know we have you know, we started looking at it. There's some college bats. There's some high school bats. And um, there's a few high school arms, and there's some college arms. I mean, there's some guys that did not pitch this year. I mean, you got to go back and look when you guys start putting it together. Ladolo didn't throw this summer. Six foot five lefty at TCU. Uh, he's got a big arm. 
Yeah, he was uh, pretty pretty high pick a couple years ago too. Yeah, second round I'm going to say by Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, so when you start looking at, it, I mean, they're going to be guys that you know may not have been on the summer circuit because of innings limits. Um, you know, maybe an injury, but uh, you know, with Team USA, we've seen most of them. Uh, but you know, I would say you know bats are going to go early. I would say this year. Early call. Early call. That's my call. I'm just going to throw Nander DeSantis out there because I went on a big trip. Uh, I would. Uh, I was pumping his name for a while. So uh, every chance I get, I'm going to bug you with Nander DeSantis if he starts doing well. If he starts doing bad, I'm going to deny I ever talked about him. Right. Right. DeSantis. Yes. Yes. Hey. Let me just say this. Okay. There was no bigger fan of Dansby Swanson in high school. Well, there were there were other scouts that really liked him, but when I had the state of Georgia at the time, huge fan, right? Mm-hmm. Some things don't work out that year in the draft. In three years, what if I get him in three years? I think that would be just fine. I'd have there to drop a go. care package so at your door. I still got another shot, don't I? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'd have to drop a care package and a thank you note at your door. There you go. So you can't give up on me yet. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know we said we'd let you go, uh, but I, I always got to ask, and you, you like to listen to the show. You've said, uh, you got time to stick around and play extra innings with us? What do we got on that? Oh, it's just the fun questions. It's where we get yeah, out of the baseball mindset. Yeah, I'm good. Let's go. All right. Well, uh, since I sprung this on Doc, I'm going to start this one off, and I am going to ask you. Mm, let's see. You versus how would you do in a race versus the freeze? Uh, say it again. How would you do in a race versus the freeze? The freeze. I was very easy. You know, one thing I would do with the freeze. You guys, have, you guys remember Ric Flair, right? <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, my bro- the, king, my- the king of talking you out of your game. <laughs> right? I would make the freeze believe I was the fastest man on earth before we even got started. <laughs> right? So I'd get some fans waving at him. You know, Rick Blair holds his arms out. How I would do against the freeze? Just call it WWE. He gets a little close. My tripping and <laughs> slime before the freeze. That's exactly what I was going to say. You just kind of trip him a little bit at the start, and then you and got some ground. Why not? <laughs> I don't think anybody's actually ever tried that before. That seems. I don't think there's like a rule book. Well, I, you know, hey, I grew up watching that wrestling stuff, so I know exactly what to do. <laughs> uh well would you uh would you wind up wearing like that same because he's got like that uh that kind of teal turquoise onesie yeah apparently it's supposed to make him more aerodynamic when he runs so um you know if you do wind up racing the freeze you get you got to bring your own onesie i think is the rule. oh yeah it'd be lime <laughs> <laughs> i'd go lime colored oh uh, that's excellent <laughs> Well, and he and he did race Paul Bird last year too. So I don't think I it's love that. Hey, Bird, that, that was the best. That was pretty excellent. Like with the the hype videos and everything. That was oh too yeah. The, uh, hey, I I kept searching for them hype videos, and I would sit and watch them over and over and over again. Paul Bird is one of my favorites. 
No, he's he's great. He's been a, he's been a great addition to the uh, to the broadcast. Yes, no doubt. And I think you know, I will tell you this, guys. And uh, Joe Simpson and Chip Curry, my opinion. I've been in the box with them. They've they're unbelievable. You know, and they're unbelievable fans of what's going on. And Joe, you know, playing in the big leagues, and those guys are great. I, I love that whole crew. To be honest with you, it's my opinion. I got to uh, I got to meet Chip at uh, Chop Fest this past year. You know, and I um, have been obviously watching him call games for years and, and listen to, to Skip before that. And then when I was like um, five years old, six seven years old, I would I would watch Cubs games on WGN. So. Chip is my is a third generation carry for me. I've been like when I think of baseball, I associate the Carey family with it, you know. So right, in same way that you do with the Boons or or, or anything like yeah. that. So, no question. Yeah, I feel the same way. I still miss Boog. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> uh, let's see. This might be the most divisive question we've ever asked. This might okay. blow up the show. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Pineapple? Did you just ask me if pineapple belonged on pizza? <laughs> yes, I did. We need the Brian Bridges I I know take. This is going. Let me tell you. I, <laughs> what I really want to say, I can't say because of it makes a mockery of a good pizza. Thank you. I'm out. I'm out on the pineapple on the pizza. I get it. Everybody's on the Hawaiian pizza. I'm out. I'm me some pepperoni, meat lovers. I'm totally out on the pineapple on the pizza. If there's pineapple on the pizza and I'm at a party and that's all they've got is Hawaiian pizza, I will pick and pick and pick till there's not a pineapple on my piece of pizza. I'm out. Thank you. I don't know if you realize, but that's a pretty divisive question, even in the short home. I'm 100% with you. I will throw the pizza out if it has pineapple on it. My wife will not eat a pizza unless it has pineapple. Mine's the same. I hate to say it. That's her first call, and I'm like throwing my hands up in there. If I had a flag, I'd throw it. It's 15 yards. <laughs> right. sure. We'll order two different pizzas because I'm not touching one that had pineapple on it. Bingo. Give me the big wagon wheel pepperonis on there, and let's roll. <laughs> You see, now the pepperoni and pineapple together. I'm obviously on a separate camp. It's like the you get the sweet and you get the savory together. It's a, it's a dream. I love it. I what can uh, I say? Ignore him, Brian. Flag. That's a flag. Just ignore him. <laughs> that's almost a, that's almost uh, taking your card, your bro card away. Oh, you can't take the bro card, man. <laughs> well, all right. Well, let's let's try it. Let's try it. Try to ask something where you and I can get back on the same page. Then uh, who okay. is your Who's your favorite Saturday Night Live cast member of all time? Come on, Will Ferrell, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> two for two. Some more cowbell. <laughs> that is a... I love that sketch. Like Jimmy Fallon over in the, in the corner trying as hard as he can not to laugh. Yeah. Give me more cowbell. Oh, That might wow. be the most iconic of all time. That and the, uh, the Jeopardy. Yes. I, I was uh, I was a, a big fan of Chris Farley when he was when he was on. God that love him, man. Hey, I wish every I wish he was still alive. That guy, hilarious. I mean, he had such a gift, and there've been so many guys in comedy that were you know lives cut off too soon because 
you know, I guess, you know, my personal opinion of it is they're so busy making other people happy and laugh that they're inside. They just, I don't know, but you're right about Chris Farley. I love that guy. Yep. That was, uh, that was, it was a little before my time, but, uh, there's nothing better than going back and watching some, uh, some old Chris Farley stuff, especially like I, I thought his Saturday night, Saturday night live stuff was actually probably his best stuff. Cause it was the most organic. I loved that. Yes. Um, yeah. Now another, another one I'm going to put you out there on, on the, uh, the, the boardwalk plank end here. Give me a controversial music take. controversial um two live crew (laughs) like greatest band of all time (laughs) well it's controversial i mean you know they had all kinds of problems with you know we can't mention it on the podcast but you know you you both know what album i'm talking about oh yeah that and that was when it was completely taboo to to do that oh yeah you remember they went through (laughs) a lot with that i would not have picked you for a two live fan Hey, guess what, man? I'm well-rounded. Come on, guys. <laughs> well, I think we just figured out what your walk-up music would be. Anymore, it's in, in 2018, it's uh, you know, it's not divisive anymore. But uh, but yeah, in like 1992, 1991, whatever it was, they they, yeah. they got in a they ruffled a bunch of feathers. Right? They did, man. It was bad. I mean, it was really bad. I mean, I had to go hide from my parents just so I could listen to it. <laughs> It's the one that you put in a different CD case or a different cassette case, so they think it's something like ABBA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ABBA or uh, Thirty Eight Special or something like that, or you know, um, what's the group with Stevie Nicks? Fleetwood Mac, man. Yeah, Fleetwood. My bad. Yeah, Fleetwood Mac or something like that. Yeah, you had to go with that. You couldn't go with Two Live Crew. Wasn't going to work, but controversial. There you go. Brian Bridges, two live crew fan. And we have one final question that we always ask a guest. This is always the favorite one. Before you go, you got to tell us an embarrassing story. It can be from a childhood. It can be teenager, wherever. Just give me an embarrassing story. The most embarrassing story. Now you put me on the spot. Now you kind of lock me up because I've had quite a few in my time. (laughs) Embarrassing stories. I got one, and I felt really small. It has to deal with scouting. Um, um, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. He used to be the scouting director. He was the scouting director with the Mets at the time, and I was an area scout. I was doing pro coverage. Uh, Jack Bowen was with the Mets, and we're sitting there, and we're talking. He's just being a regular guy like anybody else, you know. And there was another few scouts around that knew who he was. So I said, uh, you know, it's about the fifth inning. And we were in West Virginia. I don't remember exactly where it was. And they knew who he was. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> so I look at him and I said, hey, what area do you have? <laughs> <laughs> and they all started laughing and like rolling over like I mean one of them had his coke up and spit it out and I felt like I was about <laughs> a one inch tall like you really don't know that this guy's a scouting director with the Mets and I was like 
you know, so we get up and walk off, and I was like, well, they were laughing. I knew I'd screwed up. And then the game was over, and they're like, you're such an idiot. I cannot believe <laughs> you didn't know he was the director of the Mets. And I was like, oh, boy. You know, one of those you get in the car, and you go, I hope I never run into him again. Right. <laughs> Did they ever let you live it down? Nope. It still comes <laughs> up from time to time. Sometimes I bring it up myself when I'm around him. Because he's a special assistant now with the Pirates. So I'll bring it up and say, hey, what area you got? You know? <laughs> so, yeah. But there's plenty more. But, I mean, that's the first one that just came to mind, you guys. That was a good question. It's always a good one. We're uh, we're always fans of humanizing everybody. And everybody has an embarrassing story. But yes, <laughs> we have kept you for uh, for quite a while here. So uh, we know we got to let you go. Everybody out there, I hope you really enjoyed listening to this. Brian, again, thanks for so much for coming on with us. This was a blast. Really? Yeah. Always thanks a pleasure. So to. Hey, guys, I really appreciate it. And uh, I want to thank everybody out there that's listening to it. And, you know, I know your passion for the Braves. And I know the 27 guys that work in the scouting department feel it every day and we respect everything you guys say and it doesn't go unread or unheard and some of it hurts some of it doesn't and sometimes you pat us on the back and we appreciate everything that's said and everyone has an opinion and you can never say never when you're dealing with scouting and prospects and player development so if you never say never to a player because that player will be the one that proves you wrong so to all the Braves fans hey we love you thank you for everything and thank you for all your support and guys I really do it's an honor to be on your show and I appreciate it the honor is all ours and now that you have opened up the door you can officially expect us to pick your brain at any and all moments of time um, great you've opened the door for that this is all on you from yeah. now on so <laughs> you got it. once again brian you it, thank you thank you so much and uh we look forward wow. to seeing what you guys bring us next we got full faith in you guys thank you so much hey you guys take it easy all right one more time we want to thank our guest brian bridges it was a whole lot of fun getting to talk with him uh we hope you guys enjoyed it but there are some more things to to discuss uh about what's going on so as everybody's seen, Ender's been struggling all year, not even really just against lefties. He's been struggling against righties and lefties. He started to pick it up a little bit in the second half, but Ronald Acuna has taken his spot as leadoff man. And, Doc, he has not missed a beat. As a matter of fact, it looks like batting leadoff may have taken him out of that little funk that he was in. Yeah, he took to it really well, man. So so far, he's got a 1475 OPS in the leadoff spot. And, granted, we're looking at 20 plate appearances but he's been uh, he's been swinging it well. I, th- I think he kind of welcomes that role as being the guy who's getting on base in front of uh, in the past couple of games. It's been Culberson, but Ozzy will uh, Ozzy will be coming back into the the second slot, uh, hopefully in the the series against the Dodgers. So I, I think that that he's you know he's five tool guy. He's he's got the legs to be a leadoff man in addition to to the hit tool and the power too. So it's it's kind of an ideal scenario. And it's imposing, too, to, to get off the start of having Acuna, Albies, Freeman at the top of the lineup, not just this year, but for years to come. I mean, that's that's imposing. I mean, not to mention, the the he's the type of guy that you want getting the most at-bats in the season, which typically your leadoff hitter will. So I've got no problems with Acuna being up there. We mentioned this before the show started when we were kind of glossing over and reviewing what we were going to talk about. 
it's not really a new spot for him. I mean, it's what he played coming up. He was always hitting leadoff because of the speed and because of, of, of the five tools and everything, and he was always the best player anywhere he played. Um, so it, it's not really like he has to make an adjustment. It just go. It, I personally feel like it's almost more of, of a relief. It's a spot that he already knows well. He works counts well when he's in when he's in the leadoff spot or when he's batting second. He, he works counts pretty well, but he's not afraid to jump on a ball. And that fits exactly what the Braves lineup needs and what they are. For the most part, the Braves are an extremely aggressive lineup, and that serves them well, especially where there's there's two philosophies behind it. They don't run up pitch counts, unfortunately. But the other, the other flip side of that coin is you ambush a lot of pitchers. And a lot of times, the first pitch you get in the at-bat is the best pitch that you'll see. So if you can put a hard swing on a ball, but it happens to be the first pitch in the at-bat, why not? Uh, I, I like the way that the offense is moving. I like. I would have liked Camargo in that spot as well. But if Acuna is going to continue looking as comfortable as he is up there, then uh, I think that this was Acuna's eventual spot anyway. I've always seen Acuna as a leadoff type of guy. Uh, don't forget Alfonso, Sor- uh, Alfonso Soriano was a leadoff batter. And Ricky Henderson, too. Ricky was, George was Springer notorious was a leadoff for being hitter. able. He was, yeah, how many leadoff home runs did he hit over the course of his career? And uh, and Acuna is not Ricky Henderson, maybe maybe swag level, but not not as far as uh, not as far as right, he's uh, a totally the different other player. His... I think he's going to have a ton more power than Henderson ever had. Well, and, and with this this Acuna thing, is, it's really interesting because it kind of toes the line between traditional and and new age, you know, because it, it used to be a guy like Ender in you know 1979 was like the the perfect leadoff guy you know he'd get on and he still use some bases like uh not quite vince coleman level speed or, or ricky henderson but but now you see guys where it's like you just want to do the you want to put all your guys with the, the highest obps uh, up at the top and somebody like Cunha who doesn't just have the hit and the power but he also he can draw a walk uh, if uh, if somebody's trying to nibble or something like that, then I, th- I think that, uh, yeah, it's very logical. And I would be surprised if he gets moved out of that spot. Unless he hits a massive slump, the Braves' late leadoff hitters, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it has been pretty dismal. And Ozzy has been great at two. He's not a leadoff guy. One. He's not, he's, Ozzy is not a leadoff type of hitter. People see the size and they see the speed and they think, oh, well, he could bat leadoff. That's not Ozzy's game. Ozzy's game is not taking deep counts. Ozzy's game is jumping early or jumping as soon as he sees a pitch that he can put that big, deceptively strong swing on. Ozzy is almost more of a three hitter than he. I would say that Ozzy's more of a three or a four hole than he is a one. And it, it's weird to say because of his size, but Jose Altuve is the same way. Altuve is a three-hole guy. He's not He's not your leadoff guy, I, even though traditionally speaking with his size and speed, that's where he'd profile. But, I mean, there's something to be said for that. I like having a switch hitter bat too. It sets up well, so there's always a good matchup to get somebody on base in front of Freddie, which is obviously what you want. And with a guy like Acuna in front of both of those two, Ozzy's not really a singles guy. He's uh, He's going to drive some people in. So I, I am very much enjoying it. It adds another excitement element to it where you've got Acuna, Albies, Freeman. I enjoy seeing that as well, although that means very little. I just like seeing it. It's pretty exciting to see. Uh, so that right there seems to be one area of need, quote-unquote, that you might have already fixed just by moving Acuna up in the lineup. Uh, but there's still a few other needs, and everybody knows the the trade season as we are getting right underway. Uh, everybody has their list of guys. We at Outfield Fly Roll put up a, a little trade 
list up uh, a few days ago uh, where we talked about Kirby Yates, basically the guys that I talked about on last week's show uh, we talked about. Uh, to me, and we've, we've talked about this a thousand times, so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to keep the new like the acquisitions down. The other side of this coin is the Braves can make, it can almost be like making acquisitions just by using some in-house options. And we talked about it with Brian Bridges. Uh, we mentioned in passing Tuki Toussaint's day today where he threw eight innings, took him 103 pitches to get through eight innings, which is something that Braves fans have been clamoring for all year is a guy to go beyond six innings. Uh, it was absolutely filthy his best start as a matter of fact in triple a and what that leads you to believe or at least it leads me to believe anyway they're not bringing him up for the bullpen they're considering him as a starter agreed and and he would it's the the biggest thing about Tuki. oh he's got the stuff to be a starter but he's got reliever risk well the bigger the sample size gets of seeing him like ever since he got called up to double a last year uh, he just has been lights out and it's like every start he gets a little bit better <clears throat> and yeah, striking out eight over eight innings and only allowing two hits and both of those were in the same inning so uh he essentially did seven no hit innings i mean and for for the issues that that julio has had and mccarthy's still on the disabled list and gahar hasn't been able to to put it all together soroka might be out for the year i mean i have a feeling he is he starts a throwing program what's that i have a feeling that they're not going to bring soroka back this year even if he were to be ready i have a feeling that they're going to be overly cautious and i'm perfectly okay with that me too and you you see the way that they do it with guys with uh tommy john uh they did it with with freed i mean they slow walked him like to a, at a frustrating pace to him more, more so you know I, I didn't care because you always have to err on the side of caution with elbows but you definitely want to make sure that you're not rushing somebody back for, for something kind of, I don't want to use the term pointless, but I'm going to. But I mean, so... With, Inconsequential uh, is a better word. I mean, he's been out been out for a couple of weeks, and he's still got to, you know, say two more weeks till he starts his throwing program, and then it's a month after that. Well, then it's the tail end of September, and... Uh, then, then if he's got the rust about him, just let him let him sit, let him fully recover, and let him go full speed in for 2019. So if you've got a guy like Tukey who can come up and and fill that role, then Tukey today is better than Julio yesterday. We'll just put it that way. Well, the interesting thing on that, and you touched on it a little bit, as Tukey's gotten better each level he's gone, it... I'm a guy that was notoriously on the train of, of Tukey as a reliever. I'm not going to hide from that. Uh, up until one point, yeah. up, up until this year, really, uh, I thought of Tukey as a back end of the bullpen where his stuff could play up. But his changeup has developed so much over the course of just this season that now he has three pitches that are at least average, some could consider plus uh, – that that's a starter's arsenal. If you're talking about a two-pitch guy, I've got a lot more problems calling him a starter because that's a lot easier to pick up your second and third time through the order. But what Tukey's done with Dennis Llewellyn in, in stabilizing his mechanics, and he'll still get out of whack occasionally, but it's no longer batter to batter. Like now it, it, it's able, Tukey's able to make an adjustment in game now to where even if he's kind of off a little bit one inning, He'll come back and he's fine the next inning. It doesn't last the entire game uh, or it doesn't last 15 hitters. And that's what you want to see because as a starter, you're not going to have your best stuff every day. Your mechanics aren't going to be perfect every single day. We see it all the time. Uh, I was talking about it, about Sean Newcomb the other day where his arm will kind of fly. He'll drag his back arm, his his release arm. He'll drag his release arm back uh, 
sometimes, and he'll be mistimed with his front opening release, uh, which is where his lead leg comes forward, and then as he brings the arm over the top, where he'll drag that arm, and it causes him to miss arm side, so the left-handed batter's box. So that's when you see him missing outside a lot. That tends to be what's happening. He's opening up, and his arm is, is slowing down. Uh, on the flip side, he'll start to overcompensate, and you'll see him bring the arm too quickly before he actually has a chance to open up his hips. So that, that's that's what you have to deal with when you're a young starting pitcher. Uh, I I am now fully on board. The two keys of starter train. Uh, I've seen enough from him as far as carrying his velocity deep into games that that does not bother me, that I think he's perfectly fine there. His fastball will sit 95 now up into the 6th and 7th innings, so there's nothing to worry about there. He's got the hammer curveball, and his changeup is starting to be a real strikeout pitch. So I'm not I'm not going to say that he's going to replace Julio. Uh, I don't think that they would do that. I don't think they would look to get rid of Julio. A lot of what's happening with Julio right now, and I'm not saying that they won't trade him. I'm saying I don't think that they're going to suddenly uh, like take him off of the roster. Uh, a lot of the thing with no. Julio that a lot of people are no. kind of forgetting is he's shifted. He's he's kind of reconstructing his mechanics, uh, and that doesn't that doesn't just happen on the fly. You do kind of have to go through things and kind of deal with it. So maybe that's a little bit to do with it. I still go back to what I said before. I think Julio is just a pitcher that's kind of five years too late as far as the the style of the game today where hitters are much more apt to take a strike three that they don't feel that they can do anything with as opposed to swing at it. And I think most of Julio's game was built around being just outside the plate that I think now that he has to be over the plate, it leads to more homers. But I digress on that. Uh, so Tukey is definitely a guy. Colby's a guy that we all expect to come up in September at the very least. We expect to see some of Colby. He's another guy that I don't think Colby is is going to be dynamic in the majors, but he's a guy that I don't feel – I think he's going to carry over exactly what he's doing at AAA. He'll have a few bad starts here and there, but nothing about Colby's game screams – hard to, to manage, I guess, is, is one way to put it. It seemed it's very easy mechanics. Uh, it's a very simple repertoire, fastball, curveball, changeup. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's placing it. He's not overpowering, so I don't really worry about his mechanics getting out of whack. I think Colby will come up at some point, and I think he'll do fine, whether that's just for a start or two, whatever. But you mentioned Freed and Gohara, and Freed is on a rehab assignment in Mississippi, and uh, – he just went through and had an outstanding start, and we've got the numbers in front of me. An 86 game score, um, Doc. For those of of our listeners who aren't real familiar with game score, kind of let them know what it is. So every pitcher starts with 40. I, why they don't start with zero, I'm not exactly sure why. But for every every hit you give up, you lose a point. Every run you give up you lose a point for every out you get you gain a point and for every strikeout you gain two points so you're gradually accumulating as as you go go on through the game so um if you get any anything above a 60 is considered like that's a that's pretty good you know what i mean and especially to rack up 86 uh, over the course of i think it was six and a third innings six and two thirds innings i mean that's doing work he struck out 10 i think he only walked one i mean he He's granted. This is a guy that was pitching, that was dominating major league lineups, uh, pre-blister problems. I mean, you saw what he did in St. Louis a couple of weeks ago. So um, he was dominating Lester competition. But that, when the Justin Upton trade got made in December of 2014, 
the version of Max Fried that showed up in St. Louis, that is the guy that they knew they were trading for. Former seventh round pick overall, humongous pedigree. He went and pitched at the same school as Lucas Giolito and was more highly touted than and Jack Flaherty that draft. By the way, what's that? And Jack Flaherty. That's true. That's that's right. You want to talk about the just the ridiculous high school rotation? <laughs> How did that's, anybody that's beat amazing. them? How did anybody beat them? I know, I, but but so I mean, Freed is a guy that I think if he can keep the blister issues in check. He belongs in this rotation. Like he, he's so poised. He's so just. He just belongs in that staff, you know. And and I also last I didn't get to watch the entire game, but I did get to watch a little bit of Luis Bahara's start. And and we've we've talked about the fact that he was just. It's kind of a lost season for him. God knows the personal tragedy spiraled out of control, and then there's there's rumors of off field stuff. But but you know I, I can't really um, speak to to the legitimacy of those. And so this is essentially being chalked up to just being kind of a lost season. But last night he uh, you know he had two thirds of his pitches for strikes. He only walked one, which has been the big thing for him. He struck out six. The only real blemish was he gave up a three round home run to Dylan Cousins, who. If there is one no shame there. Has, <laughs> that's all wow. he does. What's that? So that's all Cousins does. He's just a monster masher. He can't hit the ball. Yeah. He can't run. He can't throw. He can't field. But he can hit home runs. Yeah. If, if Dylan Cousins has a major league comp, it's Mark Reynolds. So <laughs> that's a good uh, one right there. Yeah. So so Gahara, even if if he comes in as as a bullpen guy, uh, just just to help out, like. The reinforcements are on their way, you know, and if, if there's reluctance to trade prospects for for rentals and some of the guys are coming off the board. We talked about Brad Hand and um, Zach Britton's gone. Zach Britton's uh, gone. And, and O is apparently going to the Rockies. Hap looks like you know, he's maybe, going maybe. to the Phillies. Uh, not confirmed, but he is. There's talk that he's being traded. It appears it's either the Yankees or the Phillies. Right. So if these arms start coming off the, I mean, granted, there, there's going to be some relievers that are available, but everybody, you know, every single postseason contender since this game started could use bullpen help, right? So I mean, even the Yankees, they had the most stacked bullpen in the game, and then they added Zach Britton, you know. So, um, so even if the Braves don't, if they're reluctant to, to move the top prospects, you know what? Let's add. Trial by fire. You know what, Tuki, you're up. You're 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 pitching tonight, or or whatever. You know there there's there's enough pitching in this system. It's been so highly touted. I I think that I think they'll be okay, and 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 I still think that they're going to wind up getting some. Whether it's Michael Gibbons or Kirby Yates or Craig Stammen or whoever, I, I think that there's going to there's definitely room to add somebody. But I think that you can. Uh, sustain kind of with what you've got without having to shell out anything, anybody higher on the uh, prospect list than like a Tucker Davidson type. And I really do think Kirby Yates is a guy that they're going to take a long look at. Kirby's been outstanding over his last 93 innings. Uh, he's, he's still got some control left as well. And Anthopolis does not want rental players because he's not trying to mortgage future value on a really half of a season, if that. Um, so I don't know exactly what's going to happen. There's still there's still a whole host of names that you can look at. Um, Brad Brock is another name that you could think that if you just get him out of 
Baltimore. Uh, there, there's rumors that the Braves are looking at um, Dylan Bundy, uh, Kevin Gosman, and Brad Brock from Baltimore. Uh, I don't think Gosman is a realistic get. I don't think he's all that good. Bundy's a little bit intriguing. Um, I, I, I just struggle with what he is. He's not great. Uh, he might be better if he's not in the AL East, which is all home run parks. But Bundy, to me, is a guy that people are touting more because of what he was as a prospect than what he is as a big leaguer. Uh, and as a prospect, he was a gigantic prospect, uh, number one or number two overall, I believe. Um, he was a guy that was expected to be a, a lockdown type of guy, and he's not that. He's a 4-5 FIP type of guy right now in the AL East. Maybe he's better in the NL East, but it's not somebody that I would go over the moon about. I would actually prefer that you use Tukey or Colby Allard, and I think you'll get the same out of them. Gohara is interesting because while Gohara could help you out of the pen, I don't really want them to do that. I want him to have something steady for the rest of this year. I'd almost rather they just leave him in AAA for the rest of this season, let him get kind of comfortable with his arsenal again and kind of get used to seeing some success again because I get real nervous about guys that have where the mental side of the game might be considered their weakest part. I get real nervous about kind of forcing those guys a little bit. So I'd like to see them leave him down. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about all the trade stuff because Doc is fired up. Um and uh, <laughs> this is this is going to be it for us today. But but Doc does have uh, we we got one point to make. And Doc, you were the one that wanted to write this in the show sheet. Uh, you and I both have kind of gone back and forth with some people on this, even as recently as today. So why don't you tell the people what's got you hot? Okay, listen, I get not liking Brian Snicker as a manager. I'm not like. I don't, I'm not a Snicker hater, but I, I don't think that he is the long-term answer. Okay, um, At the end of this season, it is entirely possible that Anthopoulos is going to go and get somebody else and, and put him in the dugout. And that Snicker will wind up getting promoted to some type of job where he gets to wear a suit and tie or you know at least like uh, slacks and, and a button-up as opposed to wearing a Braves uniform every day. And I know that's going to make a lot of people happy. Um but there are people that seem to think that even though this team is within a game and a half from first place, that Brian Snicker needs to be fired right now. Like I said, I am not a huge Snicker supporter. I've seen him make just as many bonehead decisions as you have. He's not getting fired. So shut up. Stop it. It's not happening. Just if you don't like Brian Snicker, that's fine but he's not going anywhere so shut up deal with it you just have to deal with it we can talk all day long about what we wish was happening but instead why don't we talk about what's actually happening and the brand <laughs> i i am fully i am fully in agreement with you and uh this is one of those things it goes back to the it goes back to the mike moustakis thing and the mike moustakis crowd and the 90 percent of the reason that people want mike moustakis is because they know that he won't be used correctly, and it'll be a way for them to kind of show up Brian Snicker and be like, see, we told you, well, if we had a good manager, he'd be used correctly. Like To me, that's not how you should want to be. Why would you want to add something that you know is going to hurt the team? You can whine about how you wish your manager was smart enough in your, in your method of thinking to use this player the way you want him to be. If you know for a fact he's not going to do that, why would you rather the team – why are you so concerned being right about Brian Snicker that you'd rather see the team suffer? You're an 82. Mike Moustakis is not an upgrade. And in case you haven't noticed, I put out a P just that. As a matter of fact, I've got something really fun 
that you guys will all have seen on my Twitter, but I want this out here now on Wednesday night before I post it to Twitter. I'm going to give you guys two players. This is their numbers against right-handed pitching. One of them is Mike Moustakis. I will not tell you who the other one is until I'm done. So Mike Moustakis' numbers against right-handed pitching. 282 plate appearances, pretty average for a season, right? 117 weighted runs created plus. That's that's above average. That's fairly decent. It's not great. It's not anything to write home about. 344 Waba. Again, pretty good. Not not outstanding, but pretty good. Uh, 6.7 weighted runs above average. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with that stat, that is one of my favorites, but it can end up being misleading. That is where they take the runs above average, but it's it's used measuring your Waba instead of everything all-encompassing. So weighted runs created plus is a little better predictor as far as overall season success. But WRA is a fun stat that I like. Uh, 250 ISO, that's outstanding. An 815 OPS, a 496 slugging, and a 319 OBP. That's horrible. For a guy that is going against a righty who he's supposed to mash, that's horrible. Um, Player B, and I'm not going to tell you who it is right now, Weighted runs created plus 128, better than Mostakis. Waba, 363, better than Mostakis. Runs above average, 4.9. That's a little bit lower. That's about two runs lower. ISO, 191. Again, fairly a good bit lower. 850 OPS, way better. A 496 slugging, the exact same. And a 355 OBP. I already told Doc this. Before the show started, so I'm going to let him reveal the secret. Doc, who is player B? Is it Charlie Culberson? That's right. That would be one Charles Culberson. In 124 plate appearances against right-handed hitters or against right-handed pitchers, Culberson has been better than Mike Mustakis. So if you really want to get on this platoon train where you start Camargo at third base against lefties and then against righties you move him to shortstop and sit Dansby and play Colbert and play somebody at third base, the obvious answer would be Culberson right now because you don't have to spend any prospect capital. And I, again, I'm fully on board. If you say that you want to make enough of an upgrade that you can stick Camargo to shortstop and, and sit Dansby on days that he's not hitting well or against certain players, I'm fine with that too. You want to know the one available third baseman who would work in that situation? This is in that article. Eduardo Escobar. So if you're not getting Eduardo Escobar, there's no other third baseman that's out there. Camargo is 100% right now in the middle as far as weighted runs created plus of third baseman this year. You take it to just the last month, and he's a little bit higher than that. But you look at who's ahead of him, and it's a whole bunch of people who aren't being traded. It's a Eugenio Suarez. It's Nolan Arenado. It's Chris Bryant. It's a whole host of people that are not being dealt. So enough is not enough. Since, since the day that Camargo took over as the starter, uh, he is leading the team in home runs and RBI. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. As of May 29th, Johan Camargo leads the Braves in home runs. Now, this is not to say that Camargo is the greatest player of all time or to say that you shouldn't look for areas of upgrading. I'm okay with both. But for God's sake, be smart. Adding a player just because you don't like a manager and you think that that's going to be a nice feather in the cap when you get to say, see, I told you they should have fired him, that's ignorant. That's stupid. It's short-sighted. And quite frankly, it's annoying. And when you act like you can't believe that people are calling you on that, you're an idiot. You're annoying. Point blank. 
Snickers not going anywhere. Matter of fact, if the Braves make the playoffs, I feel sorry for those of you out there who are saying that because guess what? If the Braves make the playoffs this year, they're not firing Snicker because Snicker has a ton of problems, but we've also outlined he has a ton of positives. His in-game management needs a lot of work. A lot of work. He's also a second-year manager. Duh. Guess what? He's an old man. He likes to play old man baseball. I get that, too. Trust me, it frustrates me a lot. But you know what else? The team loves him. The team rallies around him. And there is something to the fact that the Braves lead the league and come from behind wins in the seventh inning or later. That's a real stat, okay? Like that, You can't just ignore that. Oh, well, it's bound to happen. It's not bound to happen because it doesn't happen. So... Just sit back and enjoy the game. If Snicker gets fired and your manager gets hired, well and good. But whining about it and wanting the front office to make a bad move just because you don't like a manager, here's a little thing. Front office's main job is to put the team in the best place for success. That includes the manager. If your GM is making a move that is not right for your manager, he's a bad GM. Point blank period. Hmm. What do you know? Sorry. What do you know? Sorry. A little <laughs> heated there. I meant for Doc to be the heated one, but it, it, it boggles my mind and it annoys. It, quite frankly, annoys the crap out of me. So uh, on that note, <laughs> I guess we're going to sign off now. Big thanks again to Braves Director of Scouting, Brian Bridges, for joining us on the show today. Thank all of you out there who are listening. We love you guys. Uh, thank you for subscribing and following to the podcast. Thanks to the all to our Armchair All-Americans listeners. We know this is the first time you've had a uh, little listen to the show. We hope you enjoyed it, and you will join us for many, many more. For both of us here at the Platinum Sombrero, thank you guys so very much. You guys have a great night, and we will catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.